You're listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth, and we have a we have a very special guest coming up here. But we first want to want to point out a few things. Starting with Osiris, we are proud to be a member of this uh, community of music and cultural podcasts, and it's a way of getting all our listeners to to find other ones and support them as well. Kind of a uh, Pool our resources, if you will, Seth. OsirisPod.com. And, of course, uh, Polay and Clark Accounting Firm. Well, it's, April's coming up, folks. Don't get screwed. Get Polay. Get Polayed. On that note, uh, quick update. WTNS Live, March 28th, City Winery, Anders Beck. And... Benny. Bendy, we're, we're calling him, You're right? You're calling him Bendy now? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Galloway himself. So uh, we got more information on that. Uh, so definitely check out the website. But let's yeah. jump right into this and episode. And also during Rob. the outro, and we'll have that and a few other things. But And also Josh Dane, thank you so much for your work. JoshDaneProductions.com, his band Migrant Worker. Check them out. They're playing mm-hmm. the 420 Fest. But there, as you can tell, we got someone on the phone here today that's going to help us intro this new uh, this interview here that we did. We're going. We're going to the roots of Adam. <laughs> hey, what's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Bobby Deitch, welcome to the show, Bobby. Hey, thanks for having us, Rob. This is Adam's father. Hey, it's good to be here. Awesome. Now, now, much like your son, you've been playing drums since you were very young. What, 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 what was it? Your dad's love of big band jazz, or your mom's love of the Beatles, that inspired you to start playing drums when you when you were eight? Actually, it was my mother's brother, my Uncle Dave, um, that actually played professionally for many years and had a weekly radio show on, uh, on CBS radio and, uh, with his band. And, and as I grew up, and I, you know, I, 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 I got to see him play. And you know, by the time I was 10 years old, I was hooked. I mean, he was performing and singing and doing gigs and doing radio dates and all that. And then that's what really inspired me. I mean, aside from the fact that there was music constantly played in my house. So, you know, between my dad playing, you know, big band jazz and my mom being a big Beatle fan, my sister was into big time doo-wop. My brother was listening to classical music. So, you know, I just gravitated to all different styles. I think that probably is the reason why my, my, my own favorite styles are very eclectic. My, I, I, even the songs that I write are, are in all different styles, from country to R&B to soul and Yeah, but and how, how does it go from a fun hobby to something where you know you have a shot at, at Berkeley, and then next thing you know, you're in, you're in the Berkeley College, College of Music. What, what, what were the indicators that you were at that level? Well, it, I don't think it was ever really a hobby. I think that you know, early on, maybe I was seven or eight years old, just like taking my mother's spoons and just banging on pots and, and, and banging on everything all around the house. And next thing you know, I was, you know, futzing around with the piano. And, and you know, by the time I was 12, I was even dabbling on guitar and, and uh, playing drums the whole time. My dad went out and bought me a drum set when I was in fifth grade. And, and you know, pretty much from there on, you know, I, I knew I was pretty serious about it. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it, it was really a it was never really a hobby. I mean, I was just kind of obsessed with it. It wasn't a hobby. It was therapy. Exactly. As a matter of fact, um, I remember my parents being called to school when I was in third grade because my teacher thought that I needed to see the school psychologist because I was banging <laughs> on my desk all the time. I've had a few trips to that <laughs> when I was a kid like that. Absolutely. And then when he turned 16, it was the steering wheel. 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. It was, it was just, uh, I, w- I was just in love with it, with the whole music thing. So I hear music in my head constantly. So I want to know, because you did end up at Berkeley, and you know all these, through your son, you know all these musicians who went to Berkeley recently. How, how do you think the school has changed from when you were there to when, you know, people are there now or, or the, when your son and his crew were there? Yeah, well, when I was there, it was more of a jazz-type school. Uh, you know, I was playing with everybody in those days, and, and uh, you know, the, some big-time jazz musicians came out of there. It, it kind of was like the AAA minor leagues for, <laughs> for, all, for, like, the Buddy Rich Band and all the great drummers that, you know, and great Art, bands Art, that, were, that were looking for musicians, you know. Is that Art Blakey time? What's that? Art Blakey? Art Blakey, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, like if Frank Zappa needed musicians, he went to Berkeley to get them. If Buddy, you know, if you know whoever whoever needed you know great musicians to be in their band, they would go to Berkeley. It was the farm, you know. It was that's where you went to go. Uh, and uh, you know, as time went on, I think it just kind of morphed into different areas. By the time it got to Adams, uh, you know, era, I would say it lent itself more to funk and rock, and then and now. What Berkeley, you know, what what really is doing is it's become very much a songwriter, like a singer songwriter kind of school. And, and you know, can, oh well, I'm sorry, but you were a jazz guy when you went into Berkeley. What what were the artists that got you more into the funk and R and B groove yourself personally? Um, you know, I was always into James Brown, and I was into um, I was heavy into Earth, Wind, and Fire, and of course the Average White Band. Um, I was really into Tower of Power in those days. T-O-P. As a matter of fact, I, what's that? No, I was just giving the T.O.P. Seth loves T.O.P., them. man. E.W.F. T.O.P. Yep. And, and you know, one, one summer, you know, while, while I was in school, you know, I hooked up with this great band, a seven-piece band called Cook. And uh, we used to work seven nights a week uh, playing pretty much Earth, Wind & Fire, Tower of Power covers, you know, Parliament, Funkadelic that kind of stuff and we were we used to do strings of 50 nights straight and uh you know five sets a night and your wife your wife was a drummer at berkeley at the time too right that's right i i you know in those days uh you know i'd say you know it was like 95 percent male and about five percent girls at the school and I, I married like uh, you know twenty percent of all of the girls. That <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> How did you meet Denise? I meant to say yeah. your your eventual wife. She was you didn't go to school with her as her being your wife. You met her while you were at school, and she would become your wife, right? That's right. That's for sure. Yeah, we met actually my first summer after my first year at Berkeley. We met through a friend of hers who asked me to be in her band. She was a, this piano player. Pat Marks was her name. She was a like a jazz pianist singer vocalist and she auditioned me to play in a band and it turned out that denise was her best friend so uh you know we got to hook up and i said oh my god you know she's from new york i'm from new york you know she, she played drums it turns out she was a great cook so you know why, why look any further than that you know that was it you know so you know we married a drummer that, that, that's what it, that's what it was all right, and now the, these days you have your own band called uh, named after yourself. You have a CD out called Grateful, and we should That's point right. out Eric Krasno and George Porter Jr. play on it. Your son and uh, Nigel Hall co-produce it. Where can people find that online? Yeah, where can they get that? Um, actually, you can get it pretty much anywhere. You can get it. It's up on Apple Music. Uh, Pan- we have our own Pandora channel. It's on uh, uh, Spotify. What about your um, website? Um, definitely my website, bobbydeichmusic.com. Um, 
and the, and and within that site there's also the Bobby Deitch band uh, on the menu. You can take a look and hear some video of the band. And uh, you know we were, you know it was it, it's actually Adam that actually uh, got me to do this band. I mean two years ago, he happened to see me performing with some friends, and I went out front off the drums and played guitar. I think I played a Billy Joel tune, <laughs> and and he was there. It was my birthday. He was in the audience and. Uh, he said, Dad, you got to get off the drums, get a bunch of young guys, put a band together and we'll help you get, you know, get on the festivals and do some stuff. You know, he, he had he, he had been listening to me write songs, you know, as he was growing up his whole life. So he actually knows most of my songs and can play them himself, which is kind of funny. But but uh, that's what I did. I, You know, he recommended a drummer who actually lives near me, Joe Mama Carpentieri. And uh, we, you know, we put a viewed the album at the blue note in new york city and this past december 30th we opened up for lettuce mm, um, nice here's my question though what's next then is it uh gonna be like you know the lettuce folks or lettuce parents where you got a band made up of you you know you and maybe jesus's father and like you know just get the... <laughs> probably be a good band actually that would be a trip that would be a trip <laughs> Actually, no. What, what, we're, you know, we're planning. The band is planning on, go, on doing, going back in the studio, recording a second album. Great. And and uh, you know what we're aiming to do now is to go out and start touring around a little bit. What studio? So, yeah, we're going to go in the studio and we're going to maybe do some short tours around the country and promote the album and <laughs> uh, go out and have some fun. Maybe uh, maybe we'll see you on Jam Cruise next year. That would be great. I would love it. And you tell know, us, I, tell us about your book, "The Drummer Knew," and how it's a, an unconventional instructional book. Yeah. Well, what happened was, for you know, back in the '80s, I was actually teaching. I was running a music program for kids with learning disabilities, and and they couldn't read the actual traditional musical notes. So if I, you know, if I put you know numbers on the board, and I would have them play one, two, three, four on the hi hat, and one and three on the bass drum, and three on the snare, it was like a typical rock beat. So we had a drum set in the classroom and they would learn how to play drum beats, rock beats, just from the way I formulated the system. So each week they would come in and say, OK, show us another beat. And and uh, so after a while, I had a bunch of beats. I put them in a book and got it published. And then I found out that there were universities all over the country that were using this as a text. <laughs> wow, that's excellent. Yeah, they were using it to teach non drummers how to play drum beats. So I teach at Ramapo College of New Jersey, and uh, they actually went out and bought 12 electronic drum kits for me, and I teach uh, techniques for drummers, and, and my book is the textbook. Well, look, before we throw it, we're going to ask you to throw it to Adam for us, but we want to ask about, do you have any memories of your earliest days sharing your record collection to, to Adam and how you presented them to him? Because that seems to really have been a, a lot of the initial spark of his love of music. Yeah, I mean, what, what we, you know, we constantly had music playing in the house, Denise and I. I mean, it, it's, you know, I, I would play for him something like, say, uh, we were listening to John Coltrane. I, we would listen to, you know, uh, Elvin Jones, and I would say, you know, just listen to what his left hand is doing, you know, or listen, very specific listening things that he got into. And we always played, you know, we played funk in the house constantly, uh, you know, because that, that's my roots. So, you know, we would take him to see Earth, Wind, and Fire when he was when he was a kid. And actually, there's a drum store right in our our, our town in Nyack, where uh, Dave Garibaldi, the drummer from Tower of Power, was given a clinic there. And I think Adam was around maybe 12 then. And uh, I said, "Come on, we're going." And 
Adam got to, you know, I arranged for Adam to actually take a, a quick lesson with Dave Garibaldi, which was amazing. And, uh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable because, you know, years later, uh, actually, our, uh, average white band opened up for tower of power and we brought that a photograph of Adam when he was, you know, a teen, a young teen, you know, and showed it to Dave and he was, he got a real kick out of That's it. You know, it, was pretty, it was pretty amazing. <laughs> so yeah, we, we, we did play a lot of music for Adam all the time. We played jazz and funk and, you know, even some rock stuff and, you know, a little bit of everything. You know, because, uh, you know, Leonard Bernstein, you know, the great conductor and composer said there's only two kinds of music and that's good music and bad music. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, it's good to be able to dabble in every kind of genre there is. And and if, if you listen to Adam's stuff, I mean, that's what he does. He's into EDM and he's Absolutely. doing great science and he's doing lettuce, you know, with the that's, funk stuff. And, it's part of the beauty of him, a big part of it. Now, I can only imagine how proud of a father you are. So we're, I'm going to have you uh, go ahead and... Uh, introduce your son to everyone here uh but before you do i was hoping maybe just maybe you could tell us a funny story a funny memory you have a funny story let me see um geez uh include involving adam or? yeah absolutely i mean i can tell you a funny story that doesn't involve adam <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but um I don't know, i'm having a hard time figuring out you know thinking of something that involved adam um when was I'm the first sure time you saw him play? Ton of them. When was the first time yeah. you saw him play professionally? Do you remember that? Um, well, he was playing in Nyack with friends professionally, you know, all, you know, in, in in clubs and restaurants, right here. I mean, I saw him playing with his, you know, he was in a funk slash hip hop band called Fatbag, way back, uh, you know, in the I'd say middle '90s, and uh, maybe even earlier than that, a little bit earlier. What? Well, actually, no, it was about '95, '96. He was playing with that band, and they were used to play in the city at a place called the Wetlands a lot, and that was a great band. And you know, former members of Lettuce were in that band as well. And uh, the guy that owned the Wetlands eventually became the owner of Brooklyn Bolt. Yes, sir, Peter Shapiro, the guy, That's right. the current, That's right. the mayor of Jam, if you will. Each of these hosts <laughs> has spent a lot of time in good old Wetlands. Great, Absolutely. great room. But here's, um, yeah. We're eager to share this interview. We did. We conducted it a while ago, but we're really excited that you took some time with us. Thank you so much for 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 doing this. Oh, absolutely! It was my pleasure, guys. Really. Yeah. And uh, go ahead and uh, introduce your sons as he should be introduced. Okay. Well, you know, uh, you know, he's not only a fantastic musician and great drummer, great composer and producer, but uh, I think that what really counts is what how so many people come up to me and say what a wonderful person he is and a humble person and, and just a, a good all around human being. And, uh, I love him to death and, uh, he's my guy and he's always, you know, I, you know, it's, it's funny how sometimes the, the teacher becomes the student and a lot in so many ways, uh, you know, he's taught me so many things down the road, you know, as, as far as playing and what not to do and, and how to approach things and, I, you know, and uh, I've learned so much just from being around him. You know, I, 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 you know, obviously I'm biased. He's my, he's my son, but uh, I just, uh, I think he's just an amazing person and a fantastic musician all around.
We're high above Terminal West in Atlanta's West End, just across the railroad track. King Plow, not Kung Plow, like I once said before. Right, right. King Plow. <laughs> and we are with an excellent drummer and producer, former skateboarder, Mr. Adam Deitch. <laughs> Who does up, y'all? And anybody who's a fan of Lattice or Break Science or any other project he's involved with should be glad he doesn't skateboard anymore. <laughs> I definitely had to stop. It was getting a little... A little dangerous there for a minute. Yeah, you know, one rock could uh, put you on the sidelines for a little while, right? Exactly. I need these wrists to work, definitely. And you're here to play with Break Science, which, by the way, Seth, why don't you say hi? Don't, Hello. Don't be- uh, I'm, safe, but I'm still, folks, if you listen to the Brock Butler episode, you know that my voice is gone. It's slowly getting back. So <laughs> fortunately for Adam, I will be less punny today. And Rob, you probably won't get railroaded so much. So Okay, I'll do the Other best Other than I can. the train that passes. Yes, we may hear a train, but that's no... New thing to our podcast. But one thing that um, you've said about Break Science is that you get the complete me. You get a picture of how I put things together, how I compose, and then I play drums on top of that. Yeah. Uh, you hear that phaser? It's like a phaser on my voice? It's, like a, it's not. It's uh, For it's some reason, you know this machine. Maybe you could tell it, me. That it on didn't the sound ch- like that before. On the channel three? Record, it started doing that. Yeah, like, yeah it's this thing. So like, hey. there's, this, uh, there's a delay, you know what I mean? Right, and okay. And if I don't press... This little thing over here, I can't explain awesome. it. As long as it's working, it's working. It's working great. I'm not a technical guy, but that's um, the only way I know how to use this. So that yeah. did uh, that <laughs> was a question though. Do you find that with no, that's lettuce, a great question? The, the, the drums lead your composing, whereas with break science, the drums more fill in the top, and yeah. you're more doing it on the other way. Great answer. Um, yeah, uh, I, I feel like you know my production side is another side of, of my being. Something I do, I love to do, and and I do. My off time is usually my girlfriend asking to do something fun, and I'm in the studio just working on music, and she has to drag me out of the studio to go do something. So I really love doing that, and then the opportunity to play those things in front of people is even more fun because that's, you, like, you want people to hear your complete thoughts, you know, your bass lines, your drum beats, your, your chords, that you, your melody choices, and... Uh, you know, a, a bit of vocals that you took from this and that and, and a friend in an old session, you mix it in. And then Borum brings in his genius keyboard choices and arrangement choices. And he has, you know, he kind of just will replace. He goes, I love that synth. It's, the idea is great. We got to replace the sound. You know, and he'll pull out his library of sounds. And, and you know, that that's one way we write. And sometimes he'll send me a track and I'll go, man, that's amazing. I, I think you want to, Take those drums off. Let me do the drums on this one. Um, I want to change the bass line slightly. So um, mute the bass, send me the track back. So we work like that all the time, and that's what break signs is.
when, when you're putting the album together and you know you're going to be working with uh, Redman, Citizen Chance, Sonia Ketchell, Danielle Parente, are you giving them any guidance on how, on to how to do their inputs? Or are they just bringing to the table... Uh, I think Sonia's is sampled. That almost sounds like it might be. Well, Sonia, we actually get. Uh, she does the full vocal. She sings, and okay. then we uh, we do a bunch of effects to her. I love that you said Redman because that, that's exactly how my mom pronounces Red it. Man? Yeah, he's Red Man. You know, well, well like, he's associated with Method Man, right. and you were a fan of Wu Tang when right. you were a skateboarder, right? Absolutely. So I, is Method yeah. your original influence? Uh, um, yeah, chief. Yeah, influence. Method Red are, are, are two uh, are my favorite rappers of all time, and you know the entire Wu Tang clan and. The opportunity to work with him was a, a huge step in the right direction towards us connecting with our heroes. You know, um, that's a big part of what we do. It's like, you know, you put this out into the universe. If you grew up listening to somebody, you hope that one day they'll, you know, recognize that and, and you get to work with them. And that worked with Redman and, and um, we're very happy. And that's happening all across all of your projects, too. I mean, you just announced today the or announced today was John Schofield doing some dates with Lettuce and we'll get there. But I but yeah. just wanted to paint that picture that that, you know, you're entering this point in your career and life where you're really you're really starting to play with all your influences that are still alive. It's crazy. It's like a dream. It's a it's a fantasy land. Like I, I got a voicemail from Mike Clark. And if you're a Herbie Hancock fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mike Clark is someone that I was obsessed with. Like I was 18, 19, like you know, I'm 41 now. So it's, you know, 20 years ago, I was just all day, yeah. Mike Clark with my friends and Herbie Hancock and Paul Jackson. And, and he left a voicemail talking about uh, how he loves my quartet, you know, oh, that is great. Out of the blue. He asked my dad on Facebook for my number. <laughs> That's great. You know, <laughs> so it's just, it's, it's fantasy land. I'm just thankful. He was in the classic headhunters lineup, mm -hmm. right? Um, well, you know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Harvey Mason was the original headhunter. You know, he was uh, on Chameleon, uh, you know, the huge album, Herbie and the Headhunters. That's Harvey Mason. But Harvey was a huge studio guy and he couldn't tour. And so the first tours of that, those, that music was Mike Clark. And then he went on to, to record like three more albums. And his prescription renewal tours yeah. are quite good. A little, Go uh, a little, uh, History note for you there, Rob. Did you know that I once did publicity for him? I did, because I got you a couple articles. For Herbie? No, no, no for Mike Clark. Clark. <laughs> okay, cool. That's really cool. But Herbie, is that how you found out about Sonia Kitchell? Because she's worked with Herbie. Um, no, we knew about Sonia for years. Uh, she were, we were on the same label when Lettuce first came out. It was Valor Records with Jeff Krasno. And they well, had signed this 16-year-old girl. That's his brother's label, That's right? Eric, Eric Krasno's yeah. older brother, Jeff, who yeah. now owns Wanderlust. Right, 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 okay. And um, they, they signed this 16-year-old girl named Sonia Kitchell, and she was really cool, really wise, and could sing uh, and, and write. And she could do everything. And um, I first saw her with the slip, the slip back Yep, yeah, yeah. She was playing guitar with the slip. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were doing her material mostly. And now she has a project with Neil Evans of Soul Live, and it's my favorite music I've heard in a long time. It's called Enco. Okay. And company, like Enco. So definitely check that out, y'all, when that comes out. It's incredible. Neil produced the entire thing, played drums, keyboards, and everything else. Yeah. So how do you, when you're working with these artists, how do you know it's going to come together in a cohesive fashion when you're, particularly with the hip-hop guys, it seems like they're, first of all, I love that they say break science. They work that in, and I think it's in part it's an ode to you, but it's also telling their own fans, look, I did this. This isn't sampled. I did this for this track. Yeah. Uh, right? You totally. think that's why? So that's signaling to their own fans as much as yeah. saluting you, right? Absolutely. They, they, know what they know it goes both ways with that, and, and you know, 
it uh, it's an honor to work with these guys. You know, uh, you never know if it's going to work. What you do is you build personal relationships, and once you have a good relationship with someone, you know it's going to go go well. You know, we were hanging out, partying with Redman for months. You know, in the studio before we got to the point of going, let's do a break science song. It wasn't just out of the blue. Let's reach out to this guy. Like, yeah, that can be awkward. Mm-hmm. You know, even when me and Kraus work at Fifty Cent, we were over at his office all the time, and Fifty was over there and lifting weights, and we were, I was skateboarding around his office. So you know, <laughs> after a few months of that, the relationship becomes real, and then you make a song. I, I prefer to do it like that. Just real quick, how'd you meet Fitty? And I can call him Fitty, you can't. <laughs> how'd you meet Fitty? Kraz uh, has his friend D. Prosper. I have a friend, you know, D. Prosper is an amazing um, kind of New York uh, cult, cultural icon kind of guy. And he knows everybody. He knows every rapper under the sun. He knows writers, artists, you know. You know and um, he, he knew 50 because I know 50 you might think blood it up. And he's a great guy and they're looking for music and I work over at G-Unit. And I was like, well, I'll be over there tomorrow. That's you know? awesome. So I would bring my skateboard over there and skate around G-Unit. Hmm. All right, and let's get on just some, some... We like to do a few recent things, and then we go on the weight back machine and the go weight to back? the start. The weight back the machine. The weight back. I was looking at my belly. <laughs> uh, first of all, lettuce is cooking right along. I reviewed your uh, a festival play you did. In, uh, it's a, There's real nice YouTube of a full show. I think it's called the uh, Paris on the Point Festival. Ooh. Paris on the Point. Where was that? Cincinnati. Since oh, that was the one. And it's that a, was, it, it, it was like eight thousand people. It was so many people, and we had no idea it was going to be that big. Hmm. It was an outdoor thing, and they were jumping. And Ohio is like a, the home of funk. Like Bootsy Collins is from there, and you know his brother Catfish. Like those are our idols, and, and Ohio players, and Zap and Roger. <clears throat> So it's like these people know their funk, you know. The, so the crowd wasn't just uh, jam cruisers. And it was. I mean, not, not the jam cruisers don't know their funk. They've seen. No, a no, lot I'm of not funk, saying that. I'm know. saying like, but you had more than just the traditional fan base. Yeah, it was way bigger than our normal. Uh, club show and it, wasn't, and it wasn't your normal civic like sometimes when you play cities the crowd can be kind of stale it was a, <coughs> seemed like the, the band was being fueled constantly yes yeah it was it's a funky city you know uh, where we were and and uh, it was really incredible it really blew us away and we played like we just played our hearts out that night what got the got the word out to the traditional funk crowd there um, I, don't, I guess they know what's up I think I feel like there's just this, you know, we've been uh, staying true to the, you know, to the funk that is from there and 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 New Orleans and 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 Washington D.C. and all, all the great funk cities, you know, and we we just been staying true to that and it's been growing. I feel like the locals that love that music like we do, it's it's a family now. It's a community. I think the buzz is you know classic '70s funk brought forth with the, like a 90s hip hop feel there you go homie and I mean I think I think that's what you're known for and I think you come into a city people <laughs> have either if they haven't seen you yet they're like oh I gotta see that if mm-hmm. that's, see if that's for real and mm-hmm. it is right <laughs> yeah. now that they saw the documentary let us play and now they're now they're going to see you <laughs> giving a little plug there and you got yeah. balls too because really you are a funk jam band and to go to do a, a not cover not just cover Miles, but to release it, you know. Yeah, is, let's is talk about bold, that a little bit. And I really respect that. So tell our listeners a little bit about that. That's uh, so, yeah. yeah I think someone out. put it together for you for the Catskill Chill about three years ago, right? Well, uh, yeah, Benny, our trumpet player, who's you know he had to replace for Sean Ross in the band a couple of years ago, and, and that's, that, that's no easy uh, task. Big shoes and to fill. And he turns out to be one of the greatest of all time. You know, like when we first 
met yeah, him. Like he was very, he, he was very cool, <laughs> and he didn't play overplay or kept everything really tight and just played the horn parts. And then over the years, we hear him solo, and we go, "Wow, this guy is special," you know. So when he said he wanted to do, uh, you know, the uh, tribute to Miles, and I looked at him and I said, "You know, you know, I played with Schofield, and he talked about Miles all day." Um, he was one of Miles' few friends in the 80s and 90s, you know, up until his death. And, and uh, like, I take this very seriously. This is very serious. I, I don't want you walking around stage, joking around and... Playing with your back to the crowd. And, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I kind of want... No, I want more of a... Yeah, like, I want you to evoke a calm, intelligent presence that, that Miles... You know, evoke his vibe as well as, you know, his, his music... You know, so like we all kind of got into this like serious zone, pregame zone for that gig, you know, and it's it's a meditational, dark psychedelic journey. Did you open when you played it live? Did you open with Voodoo Down like the like the CD does? Yeah, well, yeah, we we mixed a couple albums up. We bitches brew. We took some Silent Way, and we also uh, did We Want Miles some stuff off We Want We Want Miles. So it's not like a just a nothing off Aura. Not, not we, we love Aura. That's one of my favorites. Or, or if you fall asleep thing. to it, just might give you nightmares. I'm warning you. you know. <laughs> it sticks in you on that, right? It is freaky. <laughs> they did dip into the 90s yeah. with that warm hair from, from We Want Miles. We all okayed it. We all we all were like, yeah, Benny's got this, and he's gonna he's gonna represent. You know, one of you know he didn't just copy Miles' stuff either. He he had all his effects, and he was doing some stuff that that's uniquely him, but in the spirit of of you know the great the great chief. We uh, band members called Miles the chief. That's that's Schofield told me. It's like, Hmm. oh yeah, chief, yeah. But you are referencing the the initial composition, which was. Mm created on the spot right um a lot of those they were edited uh teo um, macero i think was the editor on that uh, there's a lot, couple different guys but 
Yeah, who knows how those songs were put together or what was overdubbed or what, uh, what was live, but we chose to use those as spring points for improvisational thing, and, you know, and it was fun. I'm glad we did it. So did you dive into Tony Williams right before? That's all Tony Williams, right? Well, it was a bunch of guys. Billy Cobham played um, a little bit on Bitches Brew, um, I believe, and Duku Chancellor maybe. There's a list of drummers. Silent Way, I think Jack DeJanette had his hand in there. But Bitches I, Brew is Tony, right? Uh, there's a few drummers on that. On that one, too. I'm pretty sure. Okay. I'm pretty sure. I think you would know better than I. I think well, Billy Cobb's on Bitches He's pretty Street. schooled, you know. <laughs> you know what? I don't, you know, uh, we got to ask Benny exactly who was playing drums. Well, let's now. call him up right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, one last thing before. Uh, there is a little bit of an elephant in the room. I can't do it. No, that's right. We can't. We've got to. No, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> oh, that kind of hurt just doing. But that. tomorrow we're interviewing Dave Watts of the Motet. Oh, that's my boy. It's my Colorado homie. And you were just announced you're doing a, a big tour. You're playing Red Rocks, and then I don't think all the dates are announced, but you're, you're definitely playing Red Rocks with them, right? Yeah. Well, um, not Red Rocks, um, but we're doing a bunch of, you know, dates with them and Galactic. Um, so a bunch of dates with Motet, a bunch of dates with Galactic, hmm. and those are guys that we've been friends with. I mean, Galactic's kind of like our uncles. You know, they, they've been doing it just a little longer, than, yeah. you know. And well, and, and then that note, like Galactic is a staple on Jam Band, but then you, I mean Jam Band, on Jam Cruise, and then Lettuce comes in, and all of a sudden, like, you guys have taken, a, not that you're taking anything away from Galactic, I'm just saying that Lettuce is now such a staple of Jam Cruise, you know, there's no, there's no, ba- it's Lettuce, they, tomato they, bacon, they, you know what I mean? And, and Carl Denson, you know, Great yeah. Boy All-Stars paved the way. There were, Lettuce, it would be impossible for Lettuce to exist, I think, without both of those bands being as Certainly. successful as, the, as they were. And um, we're happy to continue um, that part of the jam band scene, which is uh, not necessarily derived from what, you know, the fish thing or the dead thing. It comes from soul and funk music. You Stevie know? Wonder. It comes from the Yeah, I mean, just all that. Earth, Wind, Fire, Tower, Power, you know, and like, you know, that the culture of what Grateful De- Dead has is something we really embrace, which is like traveling with the band, you know, making it a community, everyone getting to meet each other. Like, not saying that doesn't happen in the in the funk, but I, community. I, I think it's more of a culture in the dead and fish community, and and we totally are super down with that, and and love what that's all about. Also, so mm-hmm. we take pieces from all the different kind of musical movements. Because there it. definitely are people out there who like shared lettuce set lists and recordings. Though, yeah, we're super travel. into that. Like, we're, we want people to share. We want them. We just released an entire tour for the first time on Nugs.net and people can actually hear the progression of the band and also hear that one weird night. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what night was that? <laughs> you know, the one weird night where Jesus was like looking at me and going, are you are you vibing me, man? Are you mad? I'm like, no, man. Like everything's cool. He just like might. Look, I'll be like making a mean face on the drums. And he'll think I'm looking at him, you know. But I'm not. I can't even see him. And he'll Sensitive start. Yeah, yeah, he gets like a little. And it's a night the band hates, but the hardcore fans love it and like clamor for it. <laughs> right. It's probably like the best show of the tour. Yeah. Yeah. You know. uh, yeah. Well, and then one last thing. Um, I'm the fan side of the show. When it's something like Lettuce and Galactic on the bill, or something like Lettuce and Motet, we're we're looking for collaborations big time. Mm-hmm. And you guys, you guys do do that usually, right? Certainly Absolutely. down in St. Augustine, you did at your most recent uh, festival. Absolutely. Um, Nigel and... Um, uh, why am I forgetting his name right now? Nigel does the best James Brown impression I've ever seen, I think. Better than Eddie Murphy. Um, <laughs> Lyle is an amazing singer. He's from Maine. Nigel lived in Maine for 10, 15, 20 years. So they're really good friends. Uh, I hang out with... I have another... I have a, a trio with Garrett Sayers and Joey... Uh, Joey Porter. And what, what's that called? It's uh, 
Dice Porter Sayers. Okay. Like Matthew Barton would. You yeah. know, it's like, you know. Organ trio. Um, yeah, but uh, Joey's doing his Rhodes and Synth thing as okay. opposed to like organ thing. But mm-hmm. it, it, it's a trio and Garrett's taking the most gorgeous bass solos I've heard like ever and yeah. playing melodies. He's, he's much more than just Way a low more. end guy. You know, yeah. he's up here. He's unreal. He, he could do it all. Garrett's. Yeah. You know. He doesn't speak as much on the up part on uh, on the motet, but motet, I love seeing because yeah, he do knows all these that music calls for low end funk, yeah. and he knows the role of. But in Dutch Porter Sayers, he gets to really go and show the world, you know, what he's up to. Well, bring that to Atlanta. We'll help uh, do some with that. That'd be yeah. fun. Yeah, and if he needs and, and if he needs uh, an organ, uh, Rob's an organ donor. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned your trio. Go I want to talk quartet too because you did the one quartet album, which was a. Um, Sort of an homage to Wayne Shorter's Speak, Speak No Evil period, correct? Uh, yeah, well, it was just, yeah, that's one of my favorite records. And it was like, you know, if we take those kind of chord structures and kind of put almost New Orleans-y backbeat, early backbeat kind of vibe underneath that and see what happens. You know, it's like a juxtaposition of eras, but... But yeah. now Harris Sullivan, our associate, pointed out to us that you have a new quartet mm-hmm. that you're working with. Can you tell us about that? Uh, well... Um, this is actually the same. The album Dice Chord is, is oh, it's the all same. the same players. It's all the same. It's Will Blades, okay, um, from San Francisco. He, uh, Doctor Lonnie Smith's like protege, mm-hmm. like one of the baddest, kind of like the young Robert Walter, you know, <laughs> but, but, like organ. He's an organist. He's yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and he plays clavinet too. He's incredible. <clears throat> and um, uh, Benny, uh, my boy Benny, and um, and Ryan and Ryan Zoidis from Lettuce. So that's the quartet. And then we had John Schofield join us last minute in the studio. Oh, wow. Which was a treat. You know, I, I wasn't sure of his schedule. He just got back from a huge Europe run. And he's probably tired. I, I didn't even want to ask him. I was like, Morgan, could you ask my manager if he could hit him up? And sure enough, he was like, yeah. You know, he lives in New York and he came down. And it was like a blessing. So, uh, Did he ever play with Will before? They have once. Okay. And he knew that he, Will's pair. on his radar, and he want, he, that's part of the reason he came uh-huh. down, because he loves Will. I think he's, like, checking Will out for, for a possible thing, you know? So, with all, just just pause for a second, Rob. Um, you just mentioned, like, 25 different projects you got going on. How the hell do you breathe during Jazz Fest? Oh, man. And how do you remember to all moving from one project to the next? Uh, I, I just love it, man. I, I just love doing it. It's uh, I'm more comfortable on the kit at an event like that where everyone's partying and dancing like I just like to be on the kit at that point in time I don't know what it is it's a I mean, crazy addiction it's like someone just blindfolds you and just takes off the blindfold and you're just there it's like alright oh this guy oh he's a Garrett alright yeah, okay yeah. we're gonna play like this now <laughs> totally and, and like I like to switch you know I was the kid in high school who switched lunch tables and I would go sit with these guys and uh-huh. go sit with those guys so it's kind of like the same thing in your band you vibe out with the band before the show and it's like you have this group of friends and they're a totally different group uh, you know and totally different vibe and different inside jokes and different you know and you go over to these guys and you got that that thing so i enjoy that i love just you know bouncing between different crews and and then making music that's a different side of yourself and that relates with that crew yeah well i always think if uh, one thing when i was going through all this research i was trying to put myself in your head which would be more satisfying well you are from boston so (laughs) there well because break science break science you said is is more in more of you in it, but I gotta tell you, man, when I'm watching you play with lettuce and you hit a little fill, yeah. and then you bring it down on the skins, and right when it comes down, the whole band's right there, pow, pow, pow. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's gotta be exhilarating, even after the thousandth time. <laughs> um, maybe not. The th- you know, it, it's exhilarating because the, the horns and the band are, are so on it, man. They're, they're just funky and 
all I have to do is just stay with the energy and the rhythmic, pro, you know, the, the way it's moving. I have to stay and just stay with it and propel it and make it happen. In, and that, that's, that's the fun part of this, for sure. percentage of it is muscle memory um all of it and none of it <laughs> you know because you, you got to make it different every night and, but at the same point it's you know you're on automatic pilot but then there's your your mind which is telling you try this try this try this make it different for this crowd make it different right. for this city you know and so and it, that's the fun part Wayback so, Machine. Yeah, yeah, we're going to go to Wayback Machine. Okay. I'm going to start it by going... It's going to be a <laughs> machine. <laughs> In the Wayback Machine, I want to just throw this out there. Because this, I just, I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking about your history, and I remember your dad, and then you said Mike Clark, and then that got me thinking the character from Whiplash, and then mm. how much of Whiplash is your life? None of it. The opposite. I didn't even see the movie. Really? So yeah, you know, you know okay. uh, I know that some people that go through the marching band thing... They might have a teacher like that. It was like some drill sergeant type yeah. cat. My parents were really knowledgeable, cool, laid back musicians that were aware of the best teachers and aware all their friends that they gigged with were my teachers. Like the parties at the house, I was sitting with the piano with my parents' sax player in their wedding band and <laughs> learning chords all day and learning Brecker Brothers lines and studying. This is in Massachusetts, right? Uh, this is in Nyack, New York. It was in Nyack. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was born in Boston, and I, I moved to Nyack when I was two. But my favorite thing went, of all the times I heard you talk about your parents is the way they set up the records, mm-hmm. and then they would play them for you. Can you talk about that a little bit? And, and give us an example of a record and some of the things they told you about it that stuck with you. Well, you know, it, the, the TV was secondary in my house, and it was records was like putting a movie in. You know, with most families, like, oh, you haven't seen this movie? We got to watch this movie. You know. <laughs> My family was like this record, and you know, we'd sit down. I'd never seen it before, and they would get all excited and bubbly. My dad's like, "You're gonna flip out!" Like, like eight years old, ten years old, where like you're five, at? four oh, or wow, five. Yeah. So I heard, you know, "Love Supreme" when I was five years old. You know, and I remember hearing the name Elvin Jones. Elvin Jones, listen to his left hand. Listen to, you know, they were like, uh-huh. they were really excited about it. I guess it could have went the other way. I could have been like, ah, it's put me to sleep. But I, but their excitement and their happiness that it brought to them made me feel like it was awesome i don't know it worked like their psychology of spreading their favorite music worked 
you know, as opposed to being like, you should listen to this or you kids today don't know. You know, like they weren't like, our music is better. They were just like, this is great and you're going to love it. You know, and I think that works for kids. Yeah, well, I can, you know? t- if I can tell you that's what we're practicing right now and, and, and mm-hmm. it is. It does. Yeah. Yeah, if they know you're excited and you get up and dance to it and move around and like, they know it's that they're going to have that memory of, of fun and happiness with that record and like, that's what Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Stevie Wonder, and Donny Hathaway is to me, and it's childhood memories. It's how much? It's, you, you know, how much did your father uh, emphasize on memorizing, like na- you know, the, this drummer's name and the, the they knew everybody. They knew but every how, musician. But for you, but to yeah, remember, were they trying like, to like baseball players and, or something? Like, yeah, yeah. He was in. Yeah, he would like he would test me. You know, who, who's on this? Who's on? We're on Listen to Kind of Blue. Like, who's that? I'm like, oh, that's Jimmy Cobb. You know, like good. You know, that's, like, that's something that in, in colleges uh, when they do. Jazz studies and whatnot. It's all about you know knowing these names. And I remember the mm-hmm. argument of like, what do I have to know the names for? Can mm-hmm. I just know the music? It's like, no, you gotta you gotta know you, <clears throat> well, you gotta know the names. Yeah, well, it's it's you know it's more important to know the sound, I think. But putting a name to a sound is important. Like we would talk about what the name was and what that name represented in the drum world or the piano world or the bass world. You know, like oh Charles Mingus, he has that on top of the beat angst that you know, strong bass sound that only Charles Mingus has. Like, you know, you, you associate the name with, with this powerful thing they do, their Jedi power, <laughs> you know? So that, that's kind of how it was in my house, you know? Mm-hmm. Same with baseball. He was like that with baseball too. And also you had a grandfather who was in big band. Did you ever go see your grandfather perform? My great uncle, I never did. It was your great uncle, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. it was, um, you know, Jeff, it's okay. Yeah, it was my or grandmother's Jimmy. brother, my father's mother's brother, uh, Uncle Dave. And he had a radio show in New York. He was playing drums and... He, um, his whole life, he's a writer, a ranger, and apparently before he died, he saw a video of me playing a concert when I was five years old, you know, for my kindergarten thing. It's on YouTube. You can check it out. It's hilarious. But uh, he saw saw it, and he he cried when he saw it, like he felt like the cycle was continuing. The circle will not be on, the circle will be unbroken. Yes, yeah, and I kind of feel like he's been helping me out in my career, because it's too magical to kind of Mm -hmm. even break down in reality, so I feel like he's helping. So thanks, Uncle Dave. Okay, so you you become you get into skateboarding and you find hip hop on your own because uh, you you I mean come on, your mother doesn't even know how to pronounce Redmond's name. <laughs> Redmond, oy vey. Right? Yeah. No, he he's, I, why do they call him Redmond? He's why, not Indian. Redmond. He's not Indian, is he? Does he look Indian to you? I don't know. Redmond. I only know him because of Method Man. I mean, I I, I know Method Man. I've seen him live, and then they, they do shows together. That's the only way I know that guy. I'll be, I'll be honest. I'm not. Is an he expert. the one on the cigarette label? <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, yeah, Redmond came over the house. Redmond. Uh, <laughs> he brought his yeah. tobacco. He's got a yeah. company. No, he came over the house and he and he saw my mom play drums, and he went. Oh, holy crap, like your mom is funky. You know, I was like, <coughs> you know, she was playing beats and then he, and he got on the drums and he sounded great and he had a couple beats he could play on the drums and I, I wasn't shocked because I was like, this. I knew he was talented, you know, and his nickname is uh, the Funk Doctor. Oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, so it's like, that's why he's the Funk because he can get on the drums he's kind of funky, you know. So, yeah, it was cool having him over the house and mom and him having a drum battle. <laughs> Where's your dad at that time? Uh, Dad was probably uh, you know grilling something up, grilling some salmon upstairs. So, so you, uh, you're a skateboarder, and that's where you're finding all the stuff. You're going to raise. That's really where you got yeah. the itch to be a producer, right? Yeah, I mean th- that's where I got out of the house. You know, I had a, a, drumming was always associated with being in my basement with my parents there. And, and at, when you hit 13, kind of when I started getting out of the house, you know, and my little town was ripe for skateboarding culture. We had the first park, like this is like 89, 90, 91, like. 
you know, we built a launch ramps and all, all the things in a parking lot, and it was totally legal, but they they let it stay. And and uh, yeah, we were on the first cusp of New York street skating, you know, <clears throat> and that got me out of the house, and it got me listening to hip hop, and got me involved with you know there was a drum and bass and anything like all the, the whole counterculture New York music movement, you know, Beastie Boys and all the way at KRS One and you know Rakim and um, some of the rock stuff like you know. You know, Living Color, Primus, like, that was involved with skate culture. Like, I loved it. Loved all that stuff. 24-7 Spies. Living Color does not get enough love. They were such a great band. And they're still out there. They're still out there. They're they're, they're pushing some stuff out right now. Yeah, they've got a tour. We've gotten to know Corey uh, Singer and and Vernon Reed over the years, and the nicest guys ever. And that's another, like, hero story. Like, I can't believe I just said that. Like, (laughs) yeah, I was at their shows when I was, like, 12, 13, like, in the pit, like, getting thrown around, you know? It was my first rock and roll experience was Living Color. I ain't no glamour boy. (laughs) Right? Glamour boy's the baddest. (laughs) No, but that's interesting to me because it's not that long after you... You applied to Berkeley, Mm -hmm. and in order to get the scholarship, you put together... You wrote a song and put together a whole video, so you had skills already. At what age is that? Um, 16 was when I went to the Berkeley thing. Now, the Berkeley thing, you said you did the five-week program. Five-week so program, So that's like yeah. the summer session. Oh, that's, like yeah, where you initially college. met the guys. Yeah, right. that's pre, you know, th- that's what really kicked my butt, because I was skateboarding a lot up until that point, and then I met Schmeens and Kraz and Zoidus and Jesus, and, you know. A.K.A. Lettuce, A.K.A. Royal Family. A.K.A. the homies. You <laughs> but know, then you all went brothers. off. Then we all, but we all had plans to come back and take over. It was ah. like, it was like, let's finish, and Jesus was actually a year behind us, and he had to finish high school in two and like one year, he had like he had two years. He had to finish it in one to to get there, and everyone was like focused. I really? was now skateboarding was going back down, drums was coming back in. Mm-hmm. Like they kind of reinvigorated the fire um, of drums for me, and because I knew I had these great guys from all over the country to play with. You know, and it was exciting. It was an exciting summer after the the summer program. Yeah, this is like I mean, this is. This got to be huge. I mean, you're you're not even in college yet, and right. and you're seeing your future in front of your fucking eyes. Yeah, what did you do mm. musically between that time and then when you went back to actually go to Berkeley? Um, uh, I, I played a lot of drums. I, I was in like Just ten bands. Around. I was playing in church on Sundays. I played at a Middle Temple East on Saturdays. Mid- yeah, Middle Eastern <laughs> restaurant on Tuesdays. Oh, so uh, what the, that's it right. was a Middle East restaurant. It wasn't the Middle East. It I'm wasn't thinking the Middle Boston, East and Cambridge. No, no, Cambridge. No, it was yeah. Nyack, New York. I forget the name. But of you were it. doing Parker song, bird songs, right? Yeah. Wow, you did your research, homie. I love wow. Charlie Parker too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. dude. He wow. does the research. I do the puns. Yeah, we totally were. And you know, Wednesdays was and Thursdays rock band. Uh, yummy. If you ask anyone from that area, Yummy was crushing Chili Peppers esque vibe. You know, run by this kind of Les Claypool singer bass player guy who was amazing, like a flea wrapped and sang. Oh wow! That's what this guy was like. And and I just reconnected <coughs> with him after twenty years, and we're starting something up again, which is wow. Great. Yeah. <laughs> And, and they'll be at a instead of a Middle Eastern restaurant, they'll be at an uh, Egyptian, I think, or is it Ethiopian restaurant? You'll Ethiopian, be playing okay, hopefully Ethiopian restaurant, or do an Indian buffet. No, so we'll, people stay yeah. longer. <laughs> yeah, I want to play like rock clubs. I want to like open for Living Color with this band. Like, this that, is, that's like, probably very possible. You know, like Morgan, just listen, relive my rock youth. <laughs> and Morgan's gonna be listening to this for sure. So yeah, well, he knows. He knows about Yummy. So then I'm fascinated because you have you end up at Berkeley. On the one hand, you have the formality. You're learning theory. You're learning all this formal stuff in class. But then you're going out and playing, and I'm sure you're putting it to use, but it's completely different than the setting and what you're learning in the class, right? Yeah. Is that a, is that a struggle, that dichotomy, or are you fueled by that dichotomy? I've always fueled by that. You know, it's multiple different uses of 
of your brain, you know, like go, going, you know, the Club Wally's Cafe. You guys heard about yes, Wally's? Yeah, sure. Benny, Benny gave us a little bit of an insight on You've that. You've never as been well. there? You got I have go. way back. I I'm going up in yeah. January and I will go there, but I yeah. used to live up in Boston for a long time. So oh, I used cool, to go all cool. the time. Yeah, that, that was my home. And like, you know, the owner, the owners took care of us. Uh, you know, I was sneaking in there when I was 18. And, and you know, it was just a, a chance to play real, you know, uh, take an R&B tune, stretch it out in a jazz fusion funk way, play it for. 15 minutes you know mm-hmm. solos all around and it, and it, you know it was just an experience that I, you could never duplicate with all the best musicians in the city mixed with the best musicians from the college all in one place mixed with whoever's in town like you talk about Stevie Wonder's yeah. band coming by one yeah, night yeah they all came down uh, Roy Hargrove used to come down just like Branford Branford Marsalis Branford has been there not, not with us but he's definitely been there all the cats know to come down to Wally's you see know? that's the thing you see Wally's kind of reminds me of what what Bojanic was here back in the Ben Garvis doing the throwdown with Colonel Bruce and Grant Green mm-hmm. and just all, right, all right. the cats. Yeah, it's know, a so scene. I mean, it's this real scene, you know. And, like and, do you have a memorable defining moment of a certain guest or a certain thing that happened at Wally's that sticks out the most? Um, I remember Roy Hargrove coming down and 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 playing some funk with us, and that was a super duper highlight for me because I had never played with a trumpet player of that magnitude before of that power it was like when Roy was really powerful and strong and it was it just uh, you know and then we hung out and we went to my friend's house and you know party a little bit you know wow. it, like, he, he was it was it was big for us because he was such a, lo- a looming hero of ours yeah, and, he's uh, amazing just, you know, just a chance to chill with him play with him and I, ha- I have a tape cassette somewhere of that night oh nice yeah that, that, that's one that sticks out but you know, and also Jeff Lockhart, and and, and literally, you were just an average white boy, right? What's that? I was. Yeah, yes. and we're getting to that. We're getting yeah. to that. But first, I want to talk about composition. Jeff Franca. <laughs> we we had Jeff Franca on the um, mm-hmm. on the show. Jeff Franca from Thievery. That's my boy. He's another one of my Denver homies. And he's always he he has a blog, and he's always encouraging drummers to to compose. And you you started early on with that, right? <clears throat> I mean, you write most of Lettuce's stuff, including in sometimes lyrics, and you write all of the break science stuff, right? No, 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 no. I, I mean, uh, as a collab, the two of you. Yes, yeah. We, 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 uh, we 50-50 write everything, me and Borum. Um, I wrote a, a, a gang of Lettuce tunes, uh, especially for this record, um, but each one is inspired by what the musicians do on stage. So it's kind of like, even if I wrote it, it's kind of like, Shmeens, remember you played this three nights ago and, and it, you've totally forgot about it? And, you know, they'll be like, what? And I'll be like, this one. I'll be like, ah, oh, no, but yeah, you know, like, so they, they, they're so amazing. They, they make up things that they forget the next day. And it's a totally unique experience. And my job is to like, go back, go listen to those shows or sound checks or jams, you know, or even when we're singing stuff outside record those ideas like record Jesus' voicemails when he's singing me bass lines and I, and I write out of that so it's just kind of like someone's got to do it you know but they're all be- bursting with ideas that I just kind of collect and put into a, a certain thing and isn't it a good thing for drummers in general to be, to be cognizant of the songwriting process it helps them kind of relate with the other band members better yeah yeah I mean it uh, uh yeah like, what do you think the average guitarist, how many, what percentage of drummers does an average guitarist see as a musician as opposed to just a drummer? Um, you know, it depends on the drummer. I mean, a lot of my favorite drummers wrote, and a lot of my other other favorite drummers didn't, you know. So depends on if the drummer has a background in composition. Like, Tony Williams, is, 
he studied composition. Like he's a he worked hard. You know, Harvey Mason. Uh, you know, Herbie Hancock. He wrote so much stuff. It you know, Idris Muhammad had tons of solo records. I don't know if he wrote those tunes, but you know, like the the music that was associated with those drummers is immense. And there's records and records, you know, of them. And uh, those are the kind of guys that inspired me to do that, you know. And you know, I don't, I don't, I don't worry about who's saying, you know, talking crap about drummers don't write, you know. No, just, but it is fun. It is funny. Know. A lot of drummers do, do, do are very content just playing drums, right? I'm not. It's not necessarily yeah, a put yeah. down. Right, right. Yeah, I, I find I play drums better to a composition that I, I either I've written or I've, I've co-written, and I feel more comfortable with the part. Of, I was there for the inception of it. And how the bass line fits with that beat and that perfect yin and yang puzzle. And uh, I'm into how they all the parts intersect, you know. And, uh, and then I feel I could play drums even to a better level, you know, if I was down with the inception of the song. And you got taught by so many amazing drummers, but I want to talk first about uh, Kenwood Denard. Mm-hmm. He was a teacher at Berkeley, right? He was. He played with Jocko. He sure did. They were friends. They were really close. Did he ever what kind of things would he say about Jocko he has more Jocko stories than anyone you've ever met because I mean, a lot of young people know nothing can you my, share one or two my favorite Jocko story he told me which I've never told in public was that he wanted him to learn some tunes Jocko wanted Kenwood to learn some new tunes of his and he said come over we're gonna run through this stuff come over to my apartment so he goes over there and Jocko is like in the bathtub and he's kind of comatose. He's not saying anything. He's like, hey, Jocko. And Jocko's like, not responding. But there were some tunes playing in the living room. And no words were ever said. It was like, Kenwood just sat down in the living room, listened to some, this record that he had on, and then just left. You know, like some weird out stuff like that. It's, it's like a strange, you know, Jocko was, you know, he's the king of, he was of, saying, I want our next work to be informed by this or something. Right, I guess like... Don't it, focus on me, focus on this. Yeah, it was like in code or something, you mm-hmm. know. like he's, he's just a genius, you know. So, <clears throat> you know, it's just one of those out Jocko stories. But, you know, I probably messed it up somehow, too. I don't know. There's probably some other weirder elements in that story. But, yeah, Kenwood is a genius, and he really took care of me and, and made me feel very comfortable on the drum set as a human being as a spiritual being um, he's a very spiritual person but did he was he part of the reason you decided to work with the guys in Lettuce was he pushing you in their direction as well and saying yeah these guys got it I like the way they do this or that and you should work more with them or was that all you um, well the guy that pushed me to do that was Mark Simmons who was uh, Al Jarreau's drummer for the past six years uh, rest in peace Al Jarreau. Um Mark Simmons took me under his wing and told me you and Jesus, you need to play with that guy. Like, he, he was like, and he grabbed us both. And like, <laughs> it was at Wally's, and he put our, his arm around us, and we respected him so much. And he goes, when you two play together, it's special. With his low voice, you know. And, and, and it hit us, and we're like, wow. You know, we knew it, but we didn't know it because we are friends and, like, you know. Yeah. And that kind of made us think, okay, we, we need to, like, this, need, this needs to be a lifetime of development. And it started yeah. with the James Brown ensemble, sort of? Well, that was... Um, or was that before that? that? That was just, you know, we were already playing as Lettuce at that point, but we also found out Kenwood Denard was doing the James Brown ensemble, so we all jumped in at the same time. Because <clears throat> there's an Atlanta guy in that, D'Anthony uh, Parks? D'Anthony Parks. D'Anthony Parks. He has yeah. also played with Mars Volta, and he's... Yep. I think he, he still lives here. Yeah, right? um, he's between here and L.A. Um, he, Does he ever sit in? 
with Atlantis? Um, no, he's uh, he's from the future. He's not from this this time. He's hmm. he uh, he's from the year three thirty in the three thousand somewhere, and he's yeah. just here visiting. He must know the colonel. Yes, uh, he, <laughs> he, yeah, he heard of Andre. He drank the same water as the colonel, probably from the same. Po- I, I don't know, but he's from the future. Okay, cool. All there on Bainbridge, just saying there. <laughs> Oh, let's see. Let us see. <laughs> let us see. You guys jumped right into gigging when you were in school. Were there positives or negatives or that? It was not all positive. I guess it was Kraz started yeah. bringing. Kraz you was really good at organizing. Man, like none of this would have happened without Kraz's mm-hmm. amazing playing and his ability to organize and find places to play. You know, we were too concerned with just like playing in the basement it was so fun to play in the basement you know or in a practice room but Kraz knew how to get us into dorms and a couple clubs and he had Jeff his older brother who was like well versed in the industry and and their uncle who manages uh, Herbie Hancock another Krasno I forget his name right now but so the Krasnos know their business and he it's a long us. line of Krasnos. Yeah. We, <laughs> so what, we're so very what, thankful to them and their knowledge. So he's the core. I'm not he's the core, but <clears throat> would you say that he's probably one of the most influential pieces of this whole royal family? He's he's the glue of the royal family? or Who's that? Would you call him the glue of the royal family? Kras created the royal family. That's so it his is all term. his term. Okay. That's, yeah. He was he was like, you know, he, when let, he started Lettuce with us, and then uh, we all did different things, and he went and started Soul Live, and then then next thing you know, it was Lettuce and Soul Live, and mm-hmm. and then it was Chapter Two, and then it was all these other groups, and things started happening, and Kraz is like, it's a royal family, it's like you know, and 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 unfortunately that, that never materialized into an actual label. Um, well, it kind of did Valor. <laughs> well, yeah, Valor. I'm, I'm saying not now. Now it's like all uh, yeah. you know, it's all over the place, but it still represents the crew. It's a, you know, it's it's we're a family forever. And you guys do those big shows once a year. <clears throat> Over in uh, Brooklyn Bowl. Yeah, we used to do that. Does not happen anymore. It's not not anymore. Yeah. It will happen again. We'll we'll do some lettuce so live. I guess point. it kind of went from that to the Brooklyn comes alive. <laughs> yeah, that right. We couldn't just ran with that. Yeah, we have a lot of young players who are listeners, and there's one huge learning moment in your career, I think, and that's uh, Seth is always talking, and, and and I'm also talking about that. You know, just being great at your job or being great as a player is only part of it. You have mm. to be affable. You have to be friendly and not not be pissy mm-hmm. and with you it's most obvious when the average white band mm-hmm. you got the rehearsal I think it came down to the last two and you just missed right and you were very gracious about it you didn't yep. throw a fight or, or yep. alienate anyone of your life Mm-mm. and then what happened six months later I got the call I got the call you know there's an old saying uh, I just thought of it but it should be an old saying jerks don't work you know like if you're a jerk it's like you'll be phased out you may be great but as soon as people realize you're a jerk to work with, you just people they're, they're gonna think twice. They're gonna call someone else before you, right? And that's just the name of the game. Just you know, just be real, be yourself, but be cool. Mm-hmm. You know, and young I'm gonna, musicians. I'm gonna go ahead and flash forward on this though. Young musicians and <clears throat> all the knowledge that you've gathered through these years. Now you're starting to, and this is some that you mentioned to me in the past is you're starting to want to actually start teaching a little bit more and start giving back. Mm-hmm. What, what, what are you currently doing and what, what plans do you have? Well, I, I did my first drum clinic tour where I toured Europe as a drum clinician doing anywhere from like uh, 500 people at once to 15 to a small class at a college, that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, I really dig teaching and I got into you know hour hour long master classes and, 
and that's really fun. And, and the other day we did something for the Upbeat Academy in New Orleans where me and Borum went to uh, teach uh, a bunch of uh, young kids that were get into production and teach them how to use produ- you know, make beats and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And and uh, I love teaching. I want to do online teaching. I want to do Skype lessons with you know all my you know pe- people that want to study with me all overseas and stuff like that. And um, I'm gonna get that. That's this is the year for that. On the online, you want to, the Johnson, what's the gentleman's name you're inspired by? Mike Johnston, yeah. Yeah, okay. he's amazing. And Stan Moore. Like, they're mm-hmm. both at the top of their game with drum education. And uh, and, and it's all, this uh, Carter McLean, who's Jamie McLean's brother. Oh, yeah. You know Jamie I, McLean? Yeah, I know band? Jamie. I didn't know. I don't yeah, know so his, his brother, brother Carter is in Lion King and, and uh, really? for years. And now he has an online drumming community thing. And he's unbelievable. It's incredible how well he's doing. So it's like, I'm proud of all these guys. And they're all inspirational. And, yeah. So, um, getting back to the average white band. So can you say it a little whiter? <laughs> so we're going to get back to the average white band. It's interesting to me though, because first of all, you're a young, you're a young kid. You're still in the in a little bit of your hip hop skateboarding phase. <laughs> Wait a second. And and you're like in your twenties. <clears throat> Is the average white band from Denver? What? Um, are they from Denver? He's trying to yeah. do a callback. Hmm. No, they're from Scotland, homie. Scotland. I'm sure, I'm sure you knew that, though. I have a two-part question. First of all, what was it like being in the van, being a young guy with those uh, at least three 50-year-olds who, who are war horses? What did you learn from them? What did they learn from you? And secondly, is, is their song Picking Up the Pieces, is that a big influence on Lettuce because you toured with Average White Band, or would it, would it have been anyways? We were covering Average White Band songs, especially person to person. We recorded on an early Lettuce demo. Is that right? With Peter Prince on vocals. Peter Prince from uh, the Northeast. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Um, and Boot Lover. Uh, from no. Moon Boot Lover. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We recorded a song called Person to Person by Average White Band, and we were all 17, 18 years old. And that has is, is disappeared. No one can find it. Oh, man. So Rob, if anyone out there somebody get that up. has Lettuce with Peter Prince, it's on some tape somewhere. You can find it let, on a cassette. Let us know, <laughs> yeah, Rob. By dad. So yeah, like you know, and plus my parents had the white, you know, the white album of of Average White Band with, with the the picture of the girl with the butt. Like it's like the classic one, right? And um, that's the pick up the pieces record. And so I, I idolized them my whole life, and then thanks to Wally's and my connections to Wally's, I got the gig and got to tour with them. And they were you know young kids that had hung out with Aretha and Shaka Khan and every artist I dreamed of meeting. They had stories about partying with them and hanging with them and put me into like a different echelon of of like knowing of history learning you know because when you learn the inside tip from the cats that were there you know like they watched Aretha Franklin record like some of her classic songs in the studio at Atlantic Records like blown away and they were 18 so they understand what it's like to be um do they know a young Dwayne Allman um I don't know I don't know if they were doing like if they were in the uh I'm sure they'd party with Duane at some point, but you know they were in the soul world, soul and right. funk world, and that's a whole different thing than the Almond. Well, Dwayne played on a lot of those, though, didn't he? He did, he did, he did. But he yeah, wasn't du- really. Dwayne Jump was one of the few that jumped between all the the realms because he camped know? out outside, outside yeah. the offices. Well, they didn't have a choice. He could play it all. He was a very vast, incredible musician. Yeah, he's amazing. But Rob, but we're gonna. He's gonna have to go down sound check here in a minute. So just to what, what did you up. What did you learn from them? Did they goof on you? Would they Would they stop you in the middle of sound check and be like, "What What are you doing there?" Like, what were some specific learning moments that you can remember? Uh, I mean, they had me, you know, play the beats to the records, which was the most important. Respect the record. He, they, they told me I was playing the kick drum too hard, and they said, "Lighten up, uh, mix yourself better, sound old school. You sound like a hip hop 
recording, you know. Because I was, you know, hip-hop is about big kick drums, so I used to stomp extra hard. That was, like, my and style. And it's one of the strengths yeah. of lettuce now, I would right. say, that yeah. you do do it, right? Yeah, yeah, I got back to doing it. I got back <laughs> to doing it. But I also know how to switch, so we go to, like, you know, beginning of one of, you know, Zoidus' solos, and I'm not just beating the drums up anymore. I know how to get to that level where you hear the drums, you feel the drums, but you're not, it's not, like, beating you over the head. And right. then as the solo progresses, I'm slowly bringing the energy up yes. and getting to a point to bring it to a peak, you know, and that's the, you know, it that's works. the goal every night. It works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right on, thank you. All right. Now we're moving on. How do we meet Schofield? Uh, Cause I don't want to run out of time here. Thank How do we... you. Yeah. Thank you, Eric Krasno. You know, it's our running joke that I owe him 10% of my career. Um, <laughs> once he brought me to dinner with Sko, Sko was a huge, uh, Sko had just played with Matthew Martin and Wood. He was looking for a new young hot trio to work with. And he found this band called Soul Live. And uh, they re- he reached out to Soul Live, or Kraz reached out to him, or they had mutual friends. I don't know what happened. Did a bunch of gigs. Kraz did his thing, and Sko instantly loved Kraz. And next thing you know, we're having dinner, and and Sko was playing with with Kraz's other band, Lettuce. Mm. You know, and uh, we were super lucky. <laughs> yeah, it was like, how did you do that? Like, and he got Fred Wesley. This is all the Wetlands. Th- you oh know, yeah. Thank you, Shappy. Thank you for everything. Um, the Wetlands was a big part that residency. I'm pretty much every time I see Shappy, and I've had a few drinks. I, I bring up that that you know that residency that Lettuce did at the Wetlands. You you talk about Schofield though, like to pull stuff out of you, right? Yeah. Can you talk about how he did that specifically? And and um, yeah, and he told me what what he didn't dig all, all the time. Like you know, did you he know have friendly drums, ways of doing it, or was he blunt? What's that? Is he more friendly about it or blunt? Super or? friendly and smart, but but straight up. Like he's like you know drummers that that crash a lot. Psh, psh, psh. He's like I hate that man. <laughs> You know, he would say stuff like that. It's like maybe it kind of it's kind of funny, the way he would say it. And he, and he wasn't and saying, hearing it from him is pretty yeah. Funny. And, and so I was like, you know what? Like, and in no way did he say you shouldn't crash a lot. Mm-hmm. He's just saying like that annoys me. You know. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, yeah. You know what? I go to a show and it's all crashes, and you got to go like this in your ears. You know, right. like, where's my earplugs? Like, so it got me thinking about just kind of playing the beat more and mm-hmm. keeping it hi hat and keeping the vibe, and 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 you know, and not getting too symboly and, and overloading everyone's eardrums you know that's one way he helped and and thinking jazz he said uh, i said well, i don't know what to play for a drum solo he goes play it play a melody like take straight no chaser by thelonious monk figure out how to play that on drums and and mix it up and and so it got me thinking about like what melody can I take from, from any tune, mm-hmm. and then play the rhythm. You know, Sir Duke from Stevie Wonder, you know, things like that. Yeah, <laughs> play that on the drums, on the toms, on the cymbal. Like, figure out a way to interpret melodies, and that—that's what I do on the, on. The, you know, that's how I solo now. That's beautiful. Yeah. Now, when he plays New Year's, will it be just a normal, not normal lettuce drum? Just saying, your material. Well, or are you yeah, the bring... first we're doing three nights with him. Okay. Uh, first night is the Miles tribute oh, with man. him and Jeff Lockhart, who is, uh, you know, uh, one of our favorite guitar players of all time, and they've never played together, and it's going to be incredible. Jeff is Wally's. Jeff mm-hmm. represents the, he is the Yoda of the Wally's movement, you know. Okay. So, yeah, it's going to be crazy uh, with Schofield and Jeff. So that, the first night is the Miles kind of vibe. Damn. Um, the second night is um, Lettuce, and we also have Farrah Monch, who's one of the great... Um, or rappers of all time, MCs of all time. Like, if you haven't checked out Farrah Munch, he's incredible. He's bringing his three background singers that are incredible. He could sing and rap. 
but he sings very infrequently. But when he does, you're like, man, I love the way you sing, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he has an incredible style of rapping. He's very intelligent and like very funky. His lyrics, the way it falls in the beat. He's one of my favorite rappers of all time. So he, Skull's going to get off the stage for that. We bring up Farrah. We do a bunch of that. And then, and then we, we finish the stuff off. We bring Schofield back and play a couple of lettuce tunes. So that's night two. And night three is... Uh, all lettuce, and we're going to stretch and let Sko and, and Jeff do their thing. And maybe some Sko songs or two? Um, maybe. I wouldn't rule it out. And no repeats through the three nights? We song. don't do that. Uh, we might have to repeat only bec- a few because I need to see what Jeff and Sko have actually learned versus what we sent them. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, And obviously, whatever's they, you know, we know the crowd looks forward to different shows and that's our calling card that you know something that the grateful dead has really inspired us to do um is to never play the same show twice and uh we're gonna do with that we're gonna do as best we can with that and even though i'm more of a deadhead we got to give fish credit for taking it to the next level of not oh yeah i mean they, they, 13 13 <laughs> incredible Except for 13, Lombard, <clears throat> yeah that's that's really impressive and inspiring and and mike gordon's been coming to a lot of my shows like you know he showed up the other night in, in cervantes and hung out and I'd we're love talking. to see you guys work together. Yeah, we're talk- oh, we, uh, we jammed. We had, we had a nice jam session once uh, at this rehearsal studio in Boston. And we, I got to play some of his music and, and, and hear some stories of how they, they started and the cookies that Trey used to make. <laughs> you know, and like he told me all this stuff, you know, kind of the lore that I, I kind of missed some of it. And, and he filled me in on the, the funny, cool stuff. And you could tell he, his quirky mind is what comes up with a lot of their amazing stuff. So oh, yeah. shout out to Mike for being cool.
Well, this episode was a whole lot of deitch. The yeah. Adam part we recorded above the, uh, I think it's called the Station Side Restaurant at the uh, Terminal West. Yeah, Terminal West up top, the loft, the loft of it. It's kind of an interesting spot to do that, little creaky chairs and whatnot. Uh, it was pretty cool. It was better, you know, it was better than... The train? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> But you you can get really quality food at that restaurant. As far as the music venues go, that's about as good quality food as you're going to get anywhere. Well, Love it. Station as always, side. thanks to uh, Terminal West for being so hospitable to us every time we do something there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so, Seth, March 28th is our live event that you've put together. We've got Anders. We've got Benny Burl. Yes, that is right. That is right. Why don't you talk more about it, Rob? Well, I'm excited to see about how the music unfolds. Now, do you know? Do you, have you put together which band? What we're going to do musically yet? Uh, not yet. Um, I'm leaving that to Burl. Actually, uh, he's he's uh, him and his cohorts are working up some something. Um, but you know, it's going to be made. You know, as we like to do with WTNS Live, we tie into the Atlanta music community and scene. So we'll be pulling from that. And uh, we'll definitely tell you all more about it, and you can check out all the information. Uh, we have all the information on our Facebook and our website, too, insideoutwtns.com. And uh, he's co-owner of the uh, Hunt House out in Marietta, a place we found because of Josh Thane. And they have a lot of great acoustic music out there, and hopefully we will be going out there, too. It's called the Hunt House in Marietta, Georgia. Yeah. We're really, talking Burl, really cool room. talking to Burl and, and uh, Thane and others about possibly doing a uh, Sunday uh, bluegrass brunch series, maybe not a weekly or anything like that, but something. Um, so definitely keep your eye out for that. But just a little bit more on this WTNS Live. A lot of people ask, what is it? It's a night of music. It's a night of podcasting. It's a night of philanthropy. Uh, that's really the 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 crux of it, you know. We're we're going to interview Anders Beck. Actually, we're going to talk briefly with him because we just released two two episodes with him. <laughs> but we're going to actually have him join us to interview Burl, and that's going to be for a really interesting live interview. From there, we're going to go into some games and some fundraising. We'll be auctioning off, or I'll say I'll be auctioning off uh, two VIP tickets to the Sweetwater 420 Festival. We're going to have Sweetwater Beer there as a sponsor as well with uh, some uh, different uh, beer specials and lots of fun and exciting things. And then we get into the music. So it's a night not just of podcasting. It's not just a night of music. We're going to be raising funds. And the funds are going to go to um, one of uh, Anders Beck's favorite charities. Um, They are... I gotta remember the name. I should be prepared, shouldn't I, Rob? Oh yeah, that's it. Little Kids Rock. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization and doing a lot of things for exactly what it sounds like: doing bringing music to the children um, and a lot more. So more on that on the website. Uh, thanks for listening this week, folks. Thanks to um, Rob for uh, putting his phone on vibrate. Hey man, anything for the team. Hey, I wanted to mention we have a new guest because uh, we're on the uh, Osiris Pod Network, Seth. That's right, OsirisPod.com. It's a community of music and cultural podcasts, and it's ever-growing. We have new ones being added all the time, but uh, there's one for you fish fans called The Daily Soundcheck. It's a shorter podcast, well, depending on the length of the soundchecks. Imagine when they play the Bethel one, that legendary 45-minute jam, that that'll be a longer one. But it was cool. The first one I popped on was, I think, my first fish show from Molly's back in... I don't know, November of 80-something. But it's pretty cool. He's going to feature a different fish sound check and a little conversation on it each episode. And he's already... He put out five in the first week, so he's knocking them right out of the park. The Daily Sound Check. 
But thank you, RJ and Tom, for inviting us and including this in this world of OsirisPod, OsirisPod.com, at OsirisPod on Twitter. And what's it on Facebook, Seth? OsirisPod? Mm-hmm. Ah! Hey, I, Rob, I the- speaking of all this podcasting, guess what I did today? What did you Also, Fear of a Craft Beer Planet is a new uh, a podcast, new but I don't know about it, but that is a new one on our in our family. Go ahead. I was interviewed on a podcast. Oh, um, that's right. The yeah. Atlanta podcast. Yeah. I don't know when it's going to be released, but it was an interesting... Uh, I never met the guy before, never talked to him, no pre-anything. We just went into a room, and he's just like looking at Facebook. He's like, so looks like we got some friends. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, and it was interesting. In common, kind of, you mean? Yeah, in common, exactly, sorry. Uh, and then we just went into it, and it was it was a very candid conversation going over everything, and he just kind of pulled different things out of what I said, and then we, you know, tangent on it. It was fun, though. I like to talk. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Any puns? Did you sneak any puns in there? Uh, you know what? We were moving so fast, and 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 I was being asked the questions, so it wasn't because if you know you said anything stupid, we're playing it in one of these outros, and we're going to discuss it. Well, right? I'm sure you'll find something stupid I said. There's no oh, question yeah. about that. I'll be listening. Well, speaking of listening, thank you all for listening. Coming up, we have Jerry Joseph. We have a uh, we have an episode uh, devoted to kind of a summary of what happened at our last WTNS live event. Some of the audio. Um, we're going to have some fun with that. We also have uh, Michael League coming up. We have from Snarky Puppy, and and we're uh, going to be interviewing Ozo Motley. And not only are we going to be interviewing, him, but Daryl, my son, is going to be interviewing them as well because they're doing a kids show. They're doing a tour, and they're also doing they're doing a regular show. And then in the afternoon, they're doing a kid show. And I'm I'm going to be working that night, so I'm I'm going to see the kids show and miss the adult show. It's appropriate. Slap in the face. But hey, it will it will be fun to see Daryl. Because Daryl is a veteran podcaster. He is, actually. He's you know, four episodes deep now. Oh, what else do we have? We're, we're going to end May. We have a surprise. Oh. March 4th, we're, we're uh, making public for one day a, a long-lost episode 34 <laughs> on March right. 4th. And those of you uh, coming down to Atlanta for uh, the uh, Sweetwater 420 Festival, we will be anchoring uh, the Osiris Pod uh I don't even tent, if you will, uh, with WTNS. We're going to have some stuff going on down there with with Osiris and WTNS, as well as an auction tent, which I'll be uh, hosting. It's uh, looking like it's 419, folks. Got a minute to give, and that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be raising money. And for those of you not there, I'll share the link with you in a couple weeks where you can actually make your bids online. You don't have to be at the event to be able to contribute, uh, win great prizes. And uh, I mean, win great prizes, purchase things, you know, bid on them to the highest bidder wins. But it's uh, all the money is going to be going to the charities of the band's choice. So there's going to be uh, more details on that soon. Also, Josh Thane, thank you for your work. Migrant Worker is going to be at that same festival. So check them out. Have them at your festival. Pole Clark. What what do you say, Seth? Well, April's coming, folks. Don't get screwed. Get Polade. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we leave you with some music. Yes, but Seth, you're off. Where are you off to? I'm headed to one big holiday, but that will already have happened by the time you listen to this. Let's let lettuce have that, Miles.
Say